So good to have you here. Uh, my name is Andy Steiger. I'm the young adults pastor here at Northview. Uh, and I just want to welcome you. If you're new, we're glad that you're with us. Uh, this is our worship night. I would love to let you know, too, as Tristan was telling you about the community groups, we would love to see you to uh, get involved in a community group here. We're going to have more information about that at the end. Well, last week, uh, I was in Korea, South Korea. And I just wanted to say thank you uh, to those of you that were praying for us and uh, that were encouraging us as we were over there. We were uh, filming. uh, I was there filming with Power to Change, and we were actually working with uh, Campus Crusade for Christ Korea, and we were working on filming The Human Project, as some of you have heard about. And it was uh, an incredible time, and it was also uh, an incredibly exhausting time. We literally were working from 7 a.m. till 1 a.m., and we, w- we only had like enough time to have breakfast and dinner, and that was it. And it was just a crazy amount of work as we were filming a, a short story. In fact, what we were filming was a story of um, this Korean, uh, like these two, um, a guy and a girl. They weren't a couple, but they, they met each other and they kind of had this idea, I wonder what if. And basically we filmed this idea of this couple thinking about relationship, but then ultimately giving up on relationship. And we were filming the story because that's exactly what's going on in Korea right now. In fact, while I was there and I was talking with some Koreans, they said, listen, Andy, in Korea, we have an acronym to, uh, that, that basically encapsulates this generation. And they said, Andy, this is the generation that's given up on the five, they said. And the acronym uh, represents these five, that this generation has given up on a job, they've given up on dating, they've given up on marriage, they've given up on children, and they've given up on a home. And he says, but Andy, it's gotten worse. He says, we don't even call them that anymore. Now we just call them the generation that's given up on everything. Given up on everything. He says, listen, Andy, it's a, it's a generation that has completely turned inward on itself. And all they care about is themselves. It's a generation that is addicted to their devices, are addicted to their interests. And interestingly enough, one day we were driving home and the taxi driver, completely unprompted, said to uh, Steve, who's translating for us, he said, you know, Korea, he says, has lost its human beauty. He said, in Korean, they have a word for human beauty. He says, We've lo- we're losing our human beauty. And Steve was like, what do you mean by that? And he goes, listen, we have become a culture that is so competitive that we no longer see human beings, we just see each other as competition. A generation that is completely turning in on themselves. It's a culture of shame in Korea. While we were there uh, in between filming, we had the opportunity to go interview Pastor Lee I was telling you that uh, we would be doing that. He was featured in the movie, The Dropbox. And it was a real privilege to get to go and meet this pastor. In fact, I've got some pictures here. I don't know what order they're in. Okay, there we go. Uh, That's Pastor Lee's church. That's Steve in the background. He works with me at uh, Apologetics Canada. Uh, And uh, just so happens to speak Korean, which is great. So he translated. And that's his church, by the way, Pastor Lee's church there. Pastor Lee... Uh, is an incredible man. God broke Pastor Lee's heart when he had a disabled son. I think we have a picture of his son here, right there. 
His son is um, severely disabled. And we're going to get into this in a little bit tonight, but Pastor Lee began to explain to me how God broke his heart and helped him to see how to love other people. And one of the things that Pastor Lee did is he began to see that in Korea, um, people were abandoning their children. People are abandoning their babies. Uh, they abandoned their babies to the tune of, for this organization, 20 a month. They bring them and they just leave them. In fact, when I arrived, a brand new baby boy that was eight years old was right there. He had been abandoned. In fact, this is where they abandon their, uh, they can abandon a child. If you see there, it, it says in Korean, right above there, it says Psalm 27, verse 10. I want to read that for you. Uh, Pastor Lee, basically, he was taking us around his facility. This is what's called the baby box. They put this on the side of the building that people can leave their baby and run away. And it says, Psalm 27, verse 10, Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me in. And that's exactly what Pastor Lee does. He takes in these children, helps them to get adopted, helps them to get into foster care. You might find this interesting. If you keep going, there's a crib picture. That's where they, they can leave the baby in there, by the way, and it's warm. A lot of babies die when they're left on the streets in Korea because it's quite cold. And this, is, this obviously concerned Pastor Lee, and he wanted to see that stopped. But more than just taking in abandoned children, he wants to see them stay with their mothers. And so they actually have two places you can leave a child. They have this room that you can go into and leave the child in that crib. And the mother can stay there for a while. And they have counselors that meet with these moms. Their desire is to see the mom stay with the child. 50% of the time this is used. 50% of the time the baby box is used. And as well, they also have apartments there that they give to these young mothers, these single moms, for free for up to two years. Anything they can to help them to stay with their child. By the way, if this uh, is something that interests you, they actually uh, allow you to come and serve uh, there. They have facility for, for foreigners to come and to, to serve with them. Did we go through all the pictures? Was that all of them? Yeah. Okay. Uh, and while I was there and, and just seeing this, I, I thought... See, I was of the opinion that people were abandoning their babies because they must have a disability. And in fact, that's how the ministry first got started. But as, it find, as I found out, only 5% of the babies have a disability. And my mind was just blown. I'm like, are you kidding? 5% of the babies have a disability? So the vast majority have nothing wrong with them. Their mothers are just abandoning them. I said, what is going on here? And Pastor Lee said, Andy, listen, it is all about shame. If this baby is bringing shame to this family in any way, shape, or form, they would rather abandon the baby, they'd rather the baby die than to be shamed. And one of the things that really impressed me about Pastor Lee is a man who is willing to sacrifice his life and his comforts, a man who's willing to take his focus from inward to outward and see a world that is in desperate need for Jesus for the love of God and is willing to love these children and to take them in and to help them find a home. And he does this because he's inspired by Jesus. He's inspired by what God has done in his life and that motivates him to love other people. And it was an amazing testament to me, to the love of God, to watch this man as he loved these children. 
And as I heard his testimony, as I met him, it reminded me of the passage of scripture that we're looking at tonight. We've been going through the book of Colossians, and tonight we're in Colossians chapter 1, verse, and we're starting in 24. I'd ask you to turn there if you have a Bible. The Apostle Paul says this, he says, Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's affliction. For the sake of his body, which is the church, I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. It was interesting for me to see in Pastor Lee his willingness to suffer for the gospel, for the church, his willingness to engage with the culture. And I I asked him, I said, why do you do this? And he says, listen, Andy, it is my desire to love these people and to be a light in Korea because I want to see this culture change. And amazingly, guys, they are seeing a complete change in culture in Korea that is coming through the power of the gospel. People like Pastor Lee that is showing that there is a different way. It doesn't need to be this way. And Paul is preaching here to the church in Colossae, and he's saying, verse 26, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of his mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is the mystery of Christianity. But Paul is getting at. He's saying, listen, the mystery is this, that we find ourselves in a broken world, a world that is full of sin and shame, a world that is in separation from God. And there is this mystery of what's going to happen with a God who loves you and desires that you would be in relationship with him. And you're not, you are in complete brokenness. What is God going to do to save you and I? It was a mystery until Jesus came. And Jesus revealed what God was doing. I I love this piece of scripture. If you have your Bible, flip over to Luke chapter four with me. Luke chapter four is this scene in the gospel where Jesus has been in the the desert. He has been tempted by, by Satan and he's come out and he's come out in power. And with the spirit, it says in verse 14. And he, he went to Galilee and then he goes to Nazareth, his hometown, where he had been brought up. I'm in verse 16 now. And it said, on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, which was his custom, and he stood up and he read. I got to tell you, if there was anything I think I would have liked to have seen in the Bible, I think this would have been it. Jesus gets up in the synagogue. He takes the scroll of the prophet Isaiah and he, he stands up, he unrolls it, and he finds these verses and begins to read. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Oh man, could you imagine, right? People are like, are you kidding me? And then he rolls it up, he puts it away, and you can imagine he sits down and everybody's looking at him going, are you kidding me? Right, and what does he say? Oh, this is good, right? He looks at them and he says, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Like, mind blown, right? This has been fulfilled in your presence. You now know the mystery of God is fulfilled in you, that God loves you so much 
that he sent his son for you, a son that was willing to come and to die for you and for me because that's how much he loves you. It was interesting. When I was talking to Pastor Lee, he was saying, listen, Andy, God broke my heart through my son, Iman, and his disability. But he said, but before that, God broke my heart through his son, Jesus Christ. And God is teaching me how to love. As I watch his example, and he taught me through my son, he is teaching me how to love people. Guys, I pray for you. I pray that you would follow after Christ. I pray that you would would find Christ in you, the hope of glory, and that that hope would be inspiring you to be a light in a dark world, to be a hope to be hope in a dark world. Hope not only in you, but a hope that is spread everywhere you go as you love and care for people. Paul continues on in verse 28. And he says, we proclaim him admonishing and in teaching everyone. Now I just got to stop in the Greek. I was reading this in the Greek this last week. And it says everyone three times in the Greek. It wants you to understand this. Listen, everyone, everyone, that, that God wants to, that this, Paul, this admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may be present, that he may present everyone perfect in Christ. Now, I think in the translation I've got up here, which is the NIV, um, oh, oh, thank you. I'm like, that's not the right verse. <laughs> present Everyone fully mature in Christ. Uh, The NIV um, updated their translation because they realized that this idea of being perfect in Christ wasn't making sense to people. Now, interestingly enough, being perfect is more accurate to the translation. That's what Paul's saying, that he wants to present everyone perfect in Christ. The problem is, though, is we have a weird idea in the 21st century of what perfect means. You see, when we think of perfect... We have this idea, this idea of some sort of ideal that is unattainable. And so a lot of us hear this idea of perfection in the Bible and we think, listen, the Bible keeps talking about this ideal, you know, that I just can never reach. So why even bother trying? But that's not Paul's understanding of perfect. In the first century, a Jew used the word perfect to mean that when something fulfills the purpose that it was made for, that is perfection. That is when something is perfect. Now, interestingly enough, we actually use it in that way as well, but just not as often. For example, if I was working on my car and I was trying to find a tool that fit the bolt that I'm trying to take off, which is normally my uh, oil like cap, you're right. And I, and I want to drain the oil and I just can't find anything that's working. And I say to my son, listen, I need you to get a three eighth wrench, right? And he brings it to me and I put it on and it fits perfectly, right? I say, oh, that's perfect, Tristan. That's exactly what I needed. So we, we do get that idea that there is this, this sense where something, when it fulfills the purpose that it was intended for, that it is perfect. It's a perfect fit. And the message of the Bible is that God wants to present you perfect in Christ in this way, that you and I were made for the purpose of being in right relationship with God. That's our purpose. That's what we were created for. We were created for relationship. 
and we desire relationship, but we live in a broken, evil, sinful, dark world. And in many ways, I got to tell you, it was hard being in South Korea, knowing just how broken this world is, knowing that there is an absolute lunatic just next door, right, in North Korea that is dangling a nuclear bomb over them daily. I mean, could you imagine living under that kind of stress? And I was talking with them about that. I'm like, what is this like? And they go, listen, after a while, Andy, you just get used to it. You just become numb to it. And I listen, I think that there's a lot of us that we just become numb to the brokenness of this world. And listen, you need to just take a moment and remind yourself you were not made for a broken, sinful, messed up world. You were made for a world in which you would flourish in relationship with God and relationship with each other. That's what you were made for. That's what it means to be perfect. And that's what Christ wants to do in you. That's the hope of glory. The hope of us living in right relationship with God. And Paul says in verse 29, to this end, I labor, struggling with all his energy, which is so powerfully, that, that so powerfully works in me. And then he says this, we're in chapter two now, and I want to really hone in on this. These are some of my favorite verses. He says, I want you to know how much I am struggling for you. And for those at Laodicea, that's a town nearby, that's a bigger town. And he says, for all who have not met me personally, my purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart, united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding. Remember last time I spoke, I said, listen, here at NYA, we want to have a Colossians 1 vision. Paul started off this chapter by saying, listen, Colossae, you're a church that prays together, that has faith, that hopes, that loves, that's growing. That's the kind of ministry that we want to be. That's why community groups are so important to us. We want you to grow in your relationship with God. We want you to grow in your relationship with each other because that's what you were made for. That's when you're going to flourish. That's when you're going to experience the fullness of life. And that's, quite honestly, as your pastor, this is my desire for you. This is what I struggle and I labor for is to see you united in love. It's why when I meet you, I'll often ask you, you know, how you're doing. And then the next thing is, are you in a community group? Listen, because I, I know what happens when you live in loneliness. I know the kind of brokenness that is there when you begin to separate yourself from God and from each other. And I know that it is not going to lead to a good place for you. And it's interesting how much convincing we often have to do for people to get them into community. And then when they get into community, it's like they can breathe for the first time. And all of a sudden, the world smells different and looks different, and they begin to realize, this is good for me. I actually like this. But it requires work. And Paul goes on to say, that they may know, in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. And by the way, this, here is my favorite verse in the Bible. In Christ, sorry, Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That's so good. I could just stop right there. I mean, honestly, when I read that for the first time as a Christian, I just like, I just meditated on that for a while. In Jesus is all the treasures 
of wisdom and knowledge. I mean, we're talking about a big treasure. We're not talking like a pirate-sized treasure, right? With this chest that you open up, you're like, ooh, that's so great. No, no, we're talking like hobbit-sized treasure, right? That smog is like laying on and bathing in. We're talking like Donald Duck, not Donald Duck. Help me out here. Scrooge McDuck. Yeah, DuckTales. That's the kind of treasure we're talking about here. It is a treasure that you are never going to exhaust. I remember when I saw The Hobbit and you just see, you know, smog and all this treasure, you're like, that's like too much treasure. Like you can never do, you could never like see it all. You can never touch it all. You can never spend it all. It's just so big. And when I think about Christ, that's the kind of treasure that we find in him. You are never going to exhaust the treasure of wisdom and knowledge that is found in Jesus. But sadly... There's a lot of people that give up on the treasure that's found in Jesus and they try to find a treasure elsewhere. And Paul says this in verse four. He says, I tell you this so that no one may deceive you with fine sounding arguments. If there's one thing that keeps me up at night, if there's one thing that concerns me as your pastor, it is this, that someone would deceive you with a fine sounding argument that someone would lead you astray. My, my years in ministry, I've done ministry now for 16 years, and I have seen so many people walk away from the Lord. I have seen so many people give up the treasure that they have in Jesus Christ to take on something that is no treasure at all. It's a curse. And, and honestly, I wish I had like four hours to just delve into this with you and to show you how beautiful and wonderful Jesus Christ is. Uh, but I've only got time to say one thing. I remember when ministry took a real turn in 9-11. I had just gotten married. In fact, my wife and I were on our honeymoon during 9-11 and got stuck in Houston, Texas for six days. Like, we were in Houston flying on 9-11. Like, we had a flight on 9-11 that never left. And I remember thinking to myself, when I was watching on TV everything that was happening, I was thinking to myself, man, the Muslims, they are just going to get lambasted over this. And that never happened. You know who got lambasted? Christians did. A flurry of books and lectures came out with the new atheists against Christianity because Christianity is such an easy target. They don't kill you when you mock them. They don't kill you when you make fun of them and throw their religion under the bus. It's an easy target. And so many books came out like this one, Letters to a Christian Nation by Sam Harris, with sound, fine-sounding arguments that persuaded many people to give up on their belief in God and to follow after a different treasure. This is, this, when I read this book, uh, this was, it's about halfway through, this is the part that really grabbed me. This is a fine-sounding argument. Here's, here's what he said. This is written to you. Somewhere in the world, a man has abducted a little girl. Soon he will rape, torture, and kill her. If an atrocity of this kind is not occurring at precisely this moment, it will happen in a few hours or days at most. Such is the confidence we can draw from the statistical laws that govern the lives of six billion humans. The same statistics also suggest that this girl's parents believe as you believe, that an all-powerful, all-loving God is watching over them and their family. Are they right to believe this? 
Is it good that they believe this? No, he concludes. And then he begins to go on to tell you about how terrible this Christian God is that would allow the sort of brokenness that we see in our world today. And many people were persuaded by that. They're like, you're right, this world is so broken and this world is so messed up and there are these people that are doing these horrible things and there are people that are giving up their babies and putting on the streets to freeze to death. How could a good and all-loving, all-powerful God allow that to happen? God surely must not exist. Let's just take a moment to open up a different treasure. Let's just go into secularism for a second. Um, One of the things that I have experienced in my life is wondering whether or not Christianity actually has a treasure or not. When I completed my BA in biblical studies, uh, I actually didn't have a very good experience in Bible college. I went through that and I began to think, man, uh, I, I didn't see a lot of reasons to believe it. I mean, I was told what the Bible said, but not a whole lot else. And then uh, that year, the case for Christ came out and I read that and I fell in love with philosophy and I fell in love with theology and I fell in love with apologetics that engaged my mind and I began to realize, oh my goodness, I started to just scratch at the treasure that's found in Jesus. But there was still this thought in my mind, what about this treasure in secularism? Maybe, maybe there's a better treasure without God. And then I went on to do my master's degree at Biola University and when I did my master's degree, I was fearful I was afraid that when I opened up the treasure of Christianity and I began to dig a little bit deeper, that I was going to find that it was shallow. And that when I opened up this treasure of secularism, of of a world without God, that I was going to find that it was deep and vast. But I found the complete opposite. I opened up the treasure of Christianity and it just was deeper and deeper. And I found that secularism was shallower and shallower. Now I don't have those thoughts anymore. Right now, many of you know I'm doing my PhD at the University of Aberdeen. In fact, um, I'm leaving on Monday with uh, Cody and Jason, and we're going to go stomp around there. They're going to go like, do fun stuff, and I'm going to go study uh, at Aberdeen, and I have to do a presentation and stuff. But I love studying. I love digging deep into philosophy. I love digging deep into, deep into science. I love digging deep into theology because it is just a well of knowledge that just keeps giving because it's founded on Jesus Christ. But when I study philosophy and when I study science from a secular perspective without God, it is so shallow because it has no foundation. There is absolutely no foundation. And so I'm reading Sam Harris's book, right? And I'm thinking, wow, there's a fine sounding argument. A few years later, just recently, he wrote a book called Free Will. I just read it for part of my PhD studies. And uh, in his book, this is what he does. This is Truly incredible. You want to know how deep it goes in the secular culture without God. This is how deep it goes. And this, by the way, I am hearing taught all over our universities as I go and I speak at places like UBC and SFU and UBC, I'm sorry, uh, UFV. And the, the idea is this. Sam Harris sums it up. I have it on Kindle, so I didn't bring it, but I got the quote here. Uh, Sam Harris says in his book, he says, my mental life, by the way, it's called free will, but he's arguing against free will. He says, my mental life is simply given to me by the cosmos. It's an idea that came about in the 8th century by a French uh, mathematician by the name of Laplace. And he had this idea. He said, what if you could know the direction that all the molecules in the world were heading? 
And what if the universe was like a big billiard game? He says, if that was the case, then I should know where those particles came from and I should know where those particles are going. Everything is determined. This is exactly what Sam Harris believes. He believes that the entirety of the universe is determined. Everything that's going to happen was set in motion in the Big Bang itself, in the the cosmic explosion of the universe. It was determined from that point. You cannot do otherwise. And so in his book, Free Will, he tells a heart-wrenching story of a girl and her mom that were raped and that were murdered. And their house was set on fire and they were burned up. And he concludes all of that by saying that there, in fact, is no right or wrong that everything was determined and that these men that did that could not have done otherwise, so they're not culpable for what they've done. He doesn't even think that right and wrong exists. He doesn't even think that you and I exist. He just thinks that we're cosmic particles in motion that think we exist, that think that we have personality, that we think we have consciousness, but in fact we don't. And I know you're thinking, oh, but that's a crazy guy. No, 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 no. That's a whole lot of people in our academic circles right now that are teaching this. He goes on to say this. He goes, you will, you will do whatever it is you do, and it is meaningless to assert that you could have done otherwise. And I think to myself, and you're upset. So you're upset with God about the horrible things that happen in this world, but you don't think there is right and wrong? I tell you, guys, The shallowness of our secular culture is so contradictory, it is laughable. It's laughable. And I tell you, my heart for you is that you would see that in Jesus truly is a treasure. It is a treasure that continues um, to go deeper and deeper, and that when we look at the atrocities of this life, that that my prayer is that you conclude, as the Apostle Paul did here in verse 5 as we close, For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. I pray that you would have a firm faith that would continue to dig and know the wisdom and knowledge of God. Wisdom and knowledge, by the way, that is not just head knowledge, but that we have wisdom and knowledge of a God that loves you so much that he didn't just leave you in a broken world, that this God entered into our brokenness. A God that didn't just leave us to our brokenness. A God, that didn't, that, a God that understood what was at stake if we were to live in relationship with him. A God that was willing to do whatever it took to bring us back into right relationship with himself, even if it cost him the suffering and death of his life so that we might live, that we might have the hope of glory That, my brothers and sisters in Christ, is a well that you can continue to go from and it goes deeper and deeper and deeper when you see that not only is God wise, but this God loves you. Let's pray. Jesus, I am so thankful. I'm so thankful that you love us and that God, that you created us. And Lord, we understand that there was a cost for our freedom. There was a cost for us to be in relationship with you that people could choose to do other, and they have. We live in a world that is completely turned in on itself, a narcissistic, self-centered world, and God, we hear you calling to us 
to come out of that narcissism, to put our focus on you and to learn to experience what life was intended for. God, I pray you'd convict each one of us because I am convinced that all of us in our life, there are those areas that we're thinking, we don't really trust you. We don't really, we're not really sure if you are good. We're not really sure if you and following you leads to a life of flourishing or not. But God, I pray that as, as, as you live in us, as we put our faith and hope in you, God, that you would direct our paths. Lord, that you would break our hearts. Lord, that you would help us to see the world the way that you do. That we would value people, that we would value relationship, that we would value you the way that, that we should, the way that leads to life. So God, as we come to the communion table, I pray that we would meet with you tonight in your power and your name. Amen.